0: you listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast, Friday the 13th edition. Welcome to the first installment of the special Surgeons of Horror podcast, Friday the 13th edition. Our purpose is to look into the horror films, dissecting them one screen legend, or in this case, film franchise at a time. Our first horror franchise discussions will centre on the Friday the 13th franchise, kicking off with the first movie, Friday the 13th, the one that started it all. From the vision of Sean Cunningham, I've carefully selected my crew of horror aficionados who will form the surgical team each episode, so let me introduce you. First up is yours truly, Paul Farrell lead surgeon and host for the series of the podcast. I'm a self-confessed horror freak who grew up drawn to the dark work of the silver screen and threw myself into the arena absorbing as much of the genre as possible with relish and glee. Joining me each of the Friday the 13th episodes will be our head nurse turned surgical technician, Miles Davies. If there is anyone that you can rely on at the operating table, it's Miles. You need to have someone with an arsenal of knowledge at the ready when performing any operation. And Miles' his sense of horror and his innate ability to draw on any subject to bring down the goods in order to make sure the surgical procedure is successful is paramount, even more so when it comes to the Friday movies. So, that's our team. So, without further ado, welcome aboard, Miles. Hello. <laughs> Let's uh, let's dissect the movie, buddy. Um, Friday the Thirteenth. Um, oh, I love this song. Yeah, you were saying just before we were uh, for, before the pre-roll record. Um, uh, just um, just for the sake of re- recapturing it, um, about mm. how your sister was a huge horror 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 slasher. Yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, well, essentially, when you know when VHS recorders
1: came out in the early eighties. Um, we used to, uh, go down to the local video store on a night and, uh, and go and rent a movie. And usually the horror film or, uh, and a family film. Uh, for some reason, our parents didn't really mind, though. They watched the good old slasher horror film because we knew it wasn't real. So, we just go straight to the horror section and pick out the, you know, the slatter, uh, of the week. And, uh, first one she ever picked out was, uh, Friday the 13th, which... I think I watched, I was saying I watched about four times in 24 hours and just continued hiring it out. I think I've seen it over 100 times, more than any other horror film I've ever seen, actually. Yeah. So it's um it's definitely a, a favourite of mine, a big influence. Um, I've just finished writing a, a horror film myself and yep. I'm putting that together at the moment to try and make that this year. And it's been a massive influence on that particular film. So yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so good, good to discuss it.
0: Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting as well because it's 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 interesting for me to hear how you entered this film and how how it became uh, how it was thrown on your radar because mm. I I don't honestly remember when I first watched it, and that's no disrespect to the film, um, because mm. there's so many elements within this movie that seems to be embedded in my psyche or whether I knew about certain elements of it before before I watch the film or not, I, I, I honestly can't tell you. Um, but, I mean, there's some there's some great moments in it and we'll get into that in due course. Mm. Um, I think it's been,
1: it's been copied so many times. That's the thing, the, isn't it? Yeah. The first of its kind. Yeah. And, you know, it's been emulated and copied and just, you know, it's become, uh, you know, film language almost. You yeah. know, that... <laughs> that's been, that just sound alone is featured in... In records, in like songs, and, that's and it. I, I, I think I heard it in a song the other day. I, I can't remember who it was. It's somebody put it in a um, in a mix of this song oh, on Triple J, and I was like, "Holy hell!" <laughs> Everywhere that <laughs> everybody's seen it. I don't know a single person who hasn't seen it.
0: No, that's right, yeah. that's right. Well, look, a, a part of what we want to achieve with this, as I said, is to look at all the Friday the Thirteenth movies one by one and have a little mm. chat around it and how the franchise has has developed and grown since this very first one but we're here here to talk about its infancy its birth and that's the the mm. first of the films um as as i mentioned directed by sean cunningham so let, let's um for those that aren't familiar with our podcast discussions what we tend to do is uh, basically talk through the narrative of the film um and we'll kind of goof around talk around it as we go through it and then um and then we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the of the key players or directors or or Han- Harry Manfredini's Manfred- kind of role in this instance with the score, um, mm. things like that, just to kind of have a bit of a natter around it, really, and, and uh, spark that conversation. So let's get let's get into it. The journey itself of the film. It, it opens at a holiday camp called Camp Crystal Lake. Um, it's we're told that the year is 1958, and there are like these uh, counselors singing by a log fire. There is this uh, POV shot as someone looks around the girls' dorm. Um, and then we see two of the counsellor kids walk off to get some boom chicka wow wow action in what looks like a stable or a barn of some kind. Um, as they get down to business, the predator predator sneaks up on them. They attempt to cover themselves up and deny any foul play when the boy is then suddenly stabbed in the stomach. Our first kill. Um, the girl stumbles and crashes her way around in an attempt to escape, but is cornered. We end the scene on a crash zoom on her in a into a still and open credits. Um, this is our impact. So it's like it's what was good about this, I guess, was the, the and you know it's it's as you say something that's been copied since um, is this idea of of, of taking the killer as, and seeing it from the POV yeah. of that killer and and you know we're not at this stage aware of who that person is.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly.
0: And already from the get go, we've had two kills. Um, any any conversation you want to say about uh, of what you remember about those that that early moment?
1: Um, I just I, I mean I was to incredibly shocking to see that first off and then mm. and then you skip the titles and stuff, which is really yeah. interesting. And you can kind of see how many times that's been done since. It's a psycho moment almost. Yes, you know and. Um, and a screen did it as well, like they, they had the first kill pre-title sequence, yes. you know, tidal title and so
0: That's yeah,
1: right. it's kind a, a good, uh, you're in the, you know, you're in for a ride. Now, yeah, but, yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So mm. then we then we we're uh, we're taken to present day or what was present day then, um, and we follow a backpacker called Annie, and she enters the local town. She's looking for Camp Crystal Lake. Um, she enters the local cafe and she gets that whole kind of wild eyed stare from the locals of like this, you know, interjector coming into the into the local village. Yes. Um, one of them, though, does offer to give her a lift halfway to the camp and on the way to the uh, like the or truck or whatever it is, they're greeted by the infamous Ralph, um, the mm. local village nutjob who professes doom and the death curse that hangs over Crystal Lake. What a great character this Ralph is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean,
1: so you, you can see that even in Cabin Fever, they've knocked off this kind of device as <laughs> that's well. That's true, that crazy, They have the crazy cat Kung Fu kid. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And,
1: uh, was well, it Deliverance as well. So oh, yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. that
0: sort of... It's a, they're ticking all the boxes here. That's you right, know? that's right. So nice, yeah, You've no a to local nuts. that's it gotta have a local nut Um, so yeah so this local uh, this uh, Ralph character he's warning them about um, not to get involved in the doomed project Um, and we then then cut to where we then meet um, three other uh, young kids who are driving on the way to Crystal Lake Um, there's Ned, Marcy and Jack who is played by Kevin Bacon um, as I said, they're oh, on the hey way. back before. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> yeah, familiar face. Um, Six degrees of Jason Voorhees. <laughs> so they're on their way to the lake, and um, uh, and we also um, meet the owner in another scene, Steve Christie, who is uh, um, he's introduced when he's t- uh, trying to uproot a tree, and uh, and there's another helper, Alice. Who shows Ned, Marcy, and Jack the ropes when they arrive to to the lake? Alice obviously will be our um, our screen queen kind of um, um, central kind of character, but we we aren't aware of that at this point. Um, we're also introduced to Bill, who seems to be something of a of a handyman. On who's a, another one of these kids who's there. Cut to another scene, and Ned. Who is he's the clown character, isn't he? Essentially, in this, mm. um, and he fires an arrow into a test target that Brenda has set up. So Brenda's another another girl on the on the on the kid, of the mm. kids that's there, and it narrowly misses her. Um, and apparently, it's th- this is his attempt at being flirtatious. Um, yeah, I is...
1: tell you. yeah, you <laughs> yeah
0: I'm yeah. Right. Nice, so. <laughs> nice, nice job. Um, interestingly, um, the person that fired that arrow was Tom Savini. Oh all right. The guy who is uh, this uh, SFX guru on this set, and we'll come to talk about him yeah, a bit yeah, more particularly down the track. So then we come back to um, Annie. Okay, just to remind people, she's the the backpacker we first see at the beginning, uh, coming into locals. She's got this ride from one of the, uh, you know, one of the locals. Um, she's now um, hitches another ride so uh, from an unseen driver. After they miss their turn-off, uh, Annie begins to panic and she's insisting on being dropped off. The driver, by the way, is uh, we never see. It's always it's done in their POV again. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so uh, she start, Annie starts to panic and she jumps out of the car that's moving along and she starts running through the woods um, and she's being followed by her assailant. Um, she's then cornered and the attacker slits her throat, killing her. So... This is another one of those ones, a bit like you mentioned about how scream as, as well uh, and yeah. psycho is a very good example of how when we are first when we first set this up um you're led to kind of almost believe that sh- this Annie character is yeah, going to be uh, the follow, yeah, be the one yeah. to follow, and they kind of knock her off straight off the off the get go yeah. so yeah, exactly. a courageous move really to do that i felt for from the yeah. director and writer to. To kind of, uh, I guess, lure um, the audience in and 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 kill off what what we believe is going to be the central character, and it gives a good testament of of what's to come. I feel like you know, mm. you know, from there on in, like none of the rules that you've seen before are going to count. You know, anything's going to go pretty much.
1: That's the thing. So yeah, I mean, this. Sort of seem to be writing the rules
0: almost. Yes. But then
1: they're also kind of breaking the, their own rules along the way. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, so it's, it's very clever that they're making up their own specific genre almost. Very much so. Very much. So. Yeah, yeah. So like the um, it's interesting. Like because I think this is 1982. This film came out, mm. I believe. So we would have already have had John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978, which yeah, uh, people. Uh, say was the birth of the slasher film. Mm. Um, the uh, the writer himself, um, who uh, uh, of Friday the Thirteenth, a guy called Victor Miller, um, he basically went and watched Halloween in the movies and took a note down of all the all the rules that were being set in play, and that's basically what he took as a carbon copy of how wow. you need to write a horror film. Huh. And then, as you said, really he made hard. up the rules along the way on top mm-hmm. of on top of that. So, the foundations was essentially Halloween. Yeah. Um, and
1: then
0: built, basically built the, the horror
1: house on top. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it was it was Victor Miller that invented the whole, all right, well, you, if you have sex, you die.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, wow.
0: Kind of rule. Like, he basically took that from the fact, you know, in Halloween with um, yeah, exactly. Michael. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, well, that's mm. that's what's going to happen. If you have sex, you're going to die. So that's a big hint, by the way, of what's to come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So we've, we've we've seen our the first of our present-day victims being killed. Um, meanwhile, the other counselors goof off at the camp, unaware that they are being watched. There's a scene where Ned, the, the clown character, feigns being, uh, drowning in order to cop off with Brenda. Yeah, he's a classy guy. Yeah. Um, Alice um, then discovers a, a snake in the dorm, and then we have this kind of queue where everyone starts fumbling around, in uh, you know, in his or her attempts to get rid of the snake. Um, the result is that Ned, the you know, the handyman kind of character, um, basically chops up the snake, um, and then Marcy, the character, kind of jokes around saying they could use it for dinner um there's a big hint here with um you know that or, or i guess they're trying to i guess sow the seeds or get uh the audience starting to think who the killer is um, yeah, and yeah. the fact that ned's the one that chops up so, the snake he, you're already yeah. kind of going oh who's he he's you know that's a bit
1: yeah we in the, in the machete they around out, they're uh, they're throwing out there. that's sure. right
0: that's right and um and and the other th- thing to add is that the snake is, the snake in question um was a real snake and it actually wow. did get chopped up.
1: Ah, it can do that you say.
0: No. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um okay, so we then uh we then cut to uh outside and Ned's goofing around again. He's pretending to be a native american um Navajo um indigenous, <laughs> you know, uh, american um, and a police officer arrives on a motorcycle with a like this um, macho attitude, looking for Ralph. Um, apparently, there was another writer involved um, other than Victor Miller. And one of the things that was added was this scene of this kind of police officer. And I, I know that Victor Miller, watching the documentaries, was saying how he was quite disgruntled about the uh, this police officer character coming into the camp because part of his rule or structure that Victor Miller had set up was that he wanted to have a location where no adults could infiltrate and mm. that's why they are in danger. It's not a, you know, he wanted yeah. to have this isolated area and he felt this, by bringing this police character in, it broke broke that wall down. Yeah. Which yeah. I kind of get, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, you look at, uh, at Scream, that type of thing as well, where pretty much every adult was a child. Like He was a child. Uh, Courtney Cox was, you know, actually essentially a vain child yeah. masquerading as an adult as well. Yeah, so that's right, yeah, that's some, right. yeah, when you when you've given that sort of ch- bunch of kids together, you can kill, kill them off quite easily. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, yeah. so um, so well, uh, sorry, sorry, where are we up now? Oh yeah, so then then we come back to Alice. Um, our heroine, who um, opens the the, uh, pantry door in one of the dorms and she discovers creepy nutjob Ralph lurking inside and once more he prophesies their doom. Um, We also hear at this point, which is probably a key thing, is that the electricity is not at its best on the camp um, and they have this emergency generator on hand. Um, And then, uh, then we get a bit outside later on where Ned, the goofy clown character, is watching... Marcy and Jack being quite flirty with each other. Um, and there's a sense almost of envy on Ned's behalf because he's not getting any action himself. Um, at which point he notices that there's some kind of movement in one of the huts. Um, so he goes off to investigate it um, and goes inside. Then we come back to uh, the Marcy and Jack characters. Just a reminder, Jack's the Kevin Bacon character. Um it's not a character, <laughs> actor playing uh, Jack. Um, and Jack senses like this storm approaching, and he and Marty then go to see ch- shelter in one of the huts, uh, where naturally, they get it on. Uh-oh. And just a reminder about that rule about if you have sex. <laughs> you're going to get bacon. That's it, you're going to get bacon. I want some bacon. I want some Bacon. <laughs> anyway, meanwhile, Alice and Bill and Brenda start playing a game of strict monopoly in uh, in uh, one of the <laughs> other dorm rooms.
1: Um, they're, uh, you know, teenagers, teenagers.
0: Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> um, but whilst uh whilst then we come back to uh, Jack and Marty again as, and as they're getting it on, um it is revealed as the camera pans up to the top bunk that Ned is lying above them dead with his throat slit. Mm um so yep another one's bites the dust after um after uh our couple are um uh have um done their deed so to speak um marcy then goes to the bathroom leaving jack behind jack kicks back in bed lights a cigarette when a drop of blood lands on his head just as he becomes inquisitive a hand grabs him from under the bed and a spear is thrust through his throat
1: I must say, this is one of my favourite horror deaths of all time. Yeah, it's absolutely. Actually, you know, I, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to have a bed that hung up. uh So you could walk underneath the bed, and it always made me paranoid that. Somebody would one day would stick a spear <laughs> through <laughs> the, the bottom of the bed. And that would <laughs> So I absolutely scared the piss out of me when I was, when I was Yeah, a kid, yeah. So. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a,
0: it's a it's a great scene, and it's it's mm. it still now is probably the most iconic death, not just in this film, yeah. but as you say in horror movie history. Um, mm. And a, a part of that is because of the Kevin Kevin Bacon's um, uh, how he's become um, a, a much uh, significant uh, actor in in Hollywood scenes. Uh, mm. But that aside, it's still. Uh, an amazing yeah. kind of special effects. And, oh yeah, the makeup is amazing. Um, just the the straight the way that that spear just comes
1: straight through, and and the um just the, just the way that the skin and and the blood of dark red blood comes out. Yeah, it's brutal.
0: It's a it's a it was a one shot deal too. Like they oh really they could only do it in one shot because of the way that the, yeah. the spear had to come through the uh, the prosthetic. Um,
1: oh right
0: and um and interestingly enough, like and uh, so you've got tom savini and his assistant lying un- under the bed in mm. order to to do do that and obviously the way he, and kevin bacon's head is propped there he, the the mm. torso itself is is fake um mm. and tom savini's underneath um and he shoves the uh the uh the spear through but the something uh, happened where the valve got broken and right. apparently his assist, like, so the the blood, where the blood's meant to come up didn't work. So his assistant basically blew into oh, the pipe right. to push the blood up. And that's where you get this splurt that comes up, which oh, was right. purely accidental. It wasn't meant oh, to go that well. way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and okay. basically they kind of come out and they're, Absolutely covered in this fake blood because it'd gone <laughs> everywhere underneath them. It sounded no, it like fucking. they had a real laugh. I must admit, just you know, uh, not, yeah. not just the F- SFX guys, but the actors as well. It sounded like they were all kind of uh, in really good spirits, and I think that's part of the reason why the end product is so good too.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're fully like you can see. They were they were masters of their
0: craft, and they
1: were having a lot of fun doing yeah. it. Yeah, so, I mean, Silvia line has become an icon. Makeup ah. and stuff, and this is just one like of his best. I think. Yeah, yeah. Part of the Ramiro stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it's, that's right. That's right. And he, he he always remembers it. I saw him a, a few years ago at the um, the Vanguard. Oh yeah. Um, he did like a, a night with Tom Deni, and he was just absolutely uh, just going off about um trying to say being one of his favourite films of yeah, all time, yeah. and just just the Jason makeup and the um um the, the deaths alone just they're just so memorable i think they're the, they're the most real looking deaths i ever saw of as a, as a kid watching a horror film so yeah you yeah. know i mean there's one later with an axe that just comes down and it's just like i just keep rewinding it over and over again and the bacon one going how
0: the fuck did they yeah, do yeah. that it's I amazing know. i know he's yeah. a, a legend he's an absolute mm, legend, as I said, we'll 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 talk about him in more detail yeah, yeah. down the track. But yeah, and what interestingly just about that particular death as well, it did uh, it did strike you know with the fact that um, one of one of people's natural fears of these people hiding under the bed. It's something yeah. that's been played over and over and over again, mm. um, and this kind of really kind of uh, you know ticks that box as you say as 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 a, one mm. of those scares you know um, mm. when but when sure. you're a, when you're a teen watching that movie, I, I dare anyone to try and go to bed that night and not look under their bed before they go to sleep. Um, so yeah, so we've had like another yet another death uh, death scene occur, um, and now we turn our attention, uh, you know, back to the bathroom where Marcy has gone. She hears noises and presumes that it's Ned. She goes to investigate the showers, but there's no one there we see like this silhouette of an axe behind her. So this is coming up to the, the death, one, death scene you were alluding to a moment ago. Mm. Um, when mm. she turns to discover her assailant, she screams and the axe comes bearing down on her and is thrust deep into her skull. Mm. Another death. <laughs> no one. Um... What's interesting about that, um, talking about the the effect of that, when um, basically when Tom Savini went to, uh, when they first sat down with the scripts and they got this guy Tom, he had done already done his work for um, uh, Dawn of the Dead with uh, Romero yeah. at the time, which is why they were like, we need somebody who is who yeah. so, um, at yeah. top of his game. And mm. that's they. That was they really wanted this guy Tom, and he basically turned up for the script reading and he made all these notes. And on this particular one, with, he said, "I noticed that you've got an axe, you know, uh, being embedded into a head here. Uh, do you want it to be a, a fake head with a real axe, or do you want it to be a real real person with a fake axe? You know, which way you you've going to be? Obviously, we get the act the actor with the fake axe. Yeah. Um, in in this instance, but um, yeah, like he was his attention to detail was was second oh, to none. Yeah. You know? Um. So yeah then we go back to uh you know the the dorm where the kids are playing strip monopoly so just remember that that's Bill Brenda and Alice um, at the moment the uh yeah. the only uh, survivors of the kids um the left um so um Brenda realizes though that she's left her cabin windows open there's a huge storm kind of you know breaking down outside um and, of course, she decides to call it a night and go off on her own <laughs> to, to the dorm. Um, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Um, mm. So the Brenda goes to the, the bathroom, so that same kind of scene that we've just witnessed Dino you know, Marcy's death in um, to wash up. And so naturally you're already kind of on tender tenderhooks because we're at, at the scene of a death um, that's occurred. Um, and she's being watched the whole time from behind the shower oh. curtains. Um, so we're kind of thinking that at this point, you know that's that's curtains for her, hey. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but then we kind of then go back to um, Steve. So I don't know if you remember Steve, like Chris. Uh, um, what's his name? Christie. Steve Christie. So he's the guy that owns the the, the lake, and he was the guy at the beginning who was uprooting the the tree. Oh. Um, and so he's gone off on his own, and he's at this point he's in a uh, one of those kind of American diners having a cup of Joe um you know and he's about to head back into the rain in, into the camp and so we're kind of following him as well at the same time we go back to brenda and she's you know in the bathroom washing up um and she's being watched you know, as i said this this whole time as well um as she's doing that so then we go back to steve again so bear with me and he's stuck in the mud in his car but fortunately he's rescued by a police officer who gives him a lift back to the camp, or offers to give him a lift back to the camp. We then go back to Brenda again, who's now retired in her cabin. When someone outside is watching her, or, you know, done from the POV again, she settles down... I love
1: the POV stuff, the the youth is a fair bit, but it's such an effective and creepy thought. Oh,
0: especially that one as well, because it's Mm. looking through the window as well. Yeah, so it's it's really this voyeuristic thing, isn't it? And you're a fan of that voyeuristic kind of thing as well, because you, you yeah. know, one of your favourite movies is Peeping Tom, isn't it, buddy? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's that it's that whole kind of um, that when you're watching somebody you shouldn't be watching, and as a viewer you are mm. equally a, playing a party to that. Um, exactly, it's a great technique.
1: And um, yeah, Raimi is in evil Dead. It's a comic. Um, uh, take it to a comic level. Yeah, as well yeah, so, know, uh, I think it's what Evil Dead 2, where like uh, the the, the P.O.V. chases and and then gets and then loses Ash at one stage and gets lost down a hallway and turns around, comes
0: back. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> that's right it's great uh, and with it, with the, yeah because with Evil Dead it does the POV of these spirits doesn't it and stuff through like yeah, the woods yeah, and you've, never, really... you, you've never seen the spirits no.
1: uh, in no. Evil Dead and it's all done through the POV and that's what makes it even more unsettling yeah, oh it's like, yeah I mean...
0: it's a big thing isn't it like with with part of what makes horror so good is, is the unknown and not being able mm-hmm. to see the killer or the assailant or whatever it is that's hunting these people down. Yeah. It, it really strikes that because you don't know who who or what this thing is. Um mm. and that, and that's what really sells this 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 film. Like well, work. like yeah. you saw the of oh, the till sort of oh yeah And that was so, purely accidental though too. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it certainly worked. I uh, it certainly worked. They, they, they always have made a
1: deliberate te- choice to to make that yeah yeah take it down that route but um but yeah that's it makes it even more um scarier when you can't see the um uh you know the monster basically yeah
0: oh yeah that's right that's right so they so anyway so like the uh we're seeing it from the as we said the pov and the person is watching through the window at brenda as she's getting into bed um and um you know she's sitting down to read and then then she hears this kind of faint cry of help coming from outside so what does she do she goes to investigate um she she's led outside and then she ends up down at the archery range and suddenly all the lights go on so it's like this blinding light and she uh, she starts backing away and then we hear this terrifying scream um and then we cut back to Alice and Bill um who hear said scream and and Alice is telling Bill that you know she saw the lights go on at the uh, the archery range, and what do they do? They go to investigate. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> Common theme, um, yeah, and that that's which
1: the I we know we know that it, there's scary shit happening.
0: Yeah, if you're a, if you're a kid
1: and you're on a camp helping set up a camp before the kids got there, yeah. you'd be like, oh, no, "This is fine, nothing happening. not know what's going on?" So you know, you're all innocent. It the love of the place, you child. That's right. That's
0: right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Exactly right. yeah. exactly. Exactly right. So they, uh, so they go down. They go to investigate. They, I think they, but first they go to uh, Brenda's cabin, and that's when they find uh, like this bloody axe in her bed. Um, mm. And you know, then to coin Alice's uh, quote, or to quote Alice, she's like, "What's going on?" <laughs> and yeah, things are starting to kind of you know piece together that things aren't necessarily um hunky dory shall we say so they go in search of everyone because obviously you know at this point they're on their own and they think well we need to find out where everyone's gone and that's th- they discover that all the phone lines are down and the car won't start um so you know they're they they know they're in some kind of a, a predicament at this stage we go back to uh, the police officer who's giving Steve a ride and he gets this call over, you know, a dispatch call, um, and he kind of says he has to leave Steve to kind of make his own way back to the camp. So he has to drop him off. Um, at which point we start to follow Steve and Steve comes across his assailant, um, again done in the POV of the, of, of the killer. Um, uh, but interestingly at this point, Steve appears to know who the person is. You know, you get you get the oh hi, what are you doing here? And then, um, just as he's walking up to uh, up to the person, he's duly killed by being stabbed in the stomach. Mm. Uh, so another one got down. So so we're definitely down to like the last two. We've just got Alice and Bill left. Um, you know, they they uh, they go to the generator to uh, because the generator goes down. Bill goes to check it out, um, and Alice. As she as she does falls asleep on the couch, um, you know there's nothing to worry about. Um, she wakes up a little time later and she realises that she's alone um, and that you know Bill hasn't come back yet. So she starts feeling a bit anxious about where he is. So goes to find him. She goes down to the generator room and discovers his poncho on the floor, um, and then discovers Bill's body pinned to the door with arrows. Mm. So he's dead. So she's on her own. Um, so you know all the while we're going, Who the hell's this killer um so Alice goes back to the cabin and she starts to like barricade her herself in you know pulling everything across the door and stuff um and she kind of like pushes herself up against the you know uh the wall of the cabin and breathes this uh, kind of sigh of like yes i'm I'm okay, and just at that point, Brenda's lifeless body is thrown through the window um. Alice then kind of panics, makes her way to the front door, and, and uh, at which point she sees a car arrive and presumes that it's Steve coming back. Um, she gets out of the cabin and instead of finding Steve, she is greeted by Mrs Voorhees. Um, apparently, an old, an, apparently an old friend of the Christie's.
1: Um,
0: and Alice starts telling Mrs Voorhees that everyone's been killed. Um, they go back into the cabin at which point Mrs. Voorhees becomes visibly unstable um, and tells Alice about her how her son Jason drowned in the lake due to the carer's neglect. She states that she couldn't possibly let them reopen the cabin before turning a knife on Alice. The killer is revealed. Alice makes a run for it and discovers Annie in the jeep, Annie the backpacker kid from the you know the first killing. And then mm. she also finds Steve hanging dead from some rafters. It's like well, the body's the body all coming out. <laughs> Mrs Voorhees uh, then starts taking on some of Jason, her son's dead son's personality. Um, you know, you know, with the whole kind of um, mm. what does she say? She's like, "Get a mummy, get a mummy." come the reverse. Kill song. her. Psycho isn't it? Yeah, exactly. actually and that's that's something they spoke about in the docu- documentary I believe uh, the 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 writer spoke about that you know he basically took psycho and then turned it on its head you know Yeah. Um you know it's it's the mum that's the killer not the son. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um so Alice tries to find some bullets for a gun but to no avail and then Mrs. Forhey finds her and starts to beat her um with like a, a pan, I believe, like there's, it's quite a, a big blow. Oh, yeah. and things like that start occurring. Somehow, though, Alice is able to stand her ground and get away. Alice makes her way back to the main cabin and locks herself in the pantry. Obviously, before too long, Mrs Voorhees finds Alice and breaks into the pantry. So she's kind of cocooned herself in a like a no way out scenario.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, But somehow again Alice manages to defend herself. This time she's armed only with a cake tin in which she (laughs) manages to knock Mrs. Voorhees to the ground. Um, Alice then makes her way down to the lake where she just sits down and has a bit of a rest. Um, Again, Mrs. Voorhees finds her and a big scuffle breaks out between the two. Alice fights her way free, grabs the machete that Mrs. Voorhees was brandishing and Alice begins to swing blindly with the machete, at which point she decapitates Mrs. Voorhees. Which is awesome. And what a great decapitation. Oh, one of the best decapitations ever.
1: Yeah. Full swing around and then bang, bloody shot.
0: There. It's great. I love it. Yeah. And then, uh, and you get this kind of stunned look on Alice as, after she's done it, you know, like as she climbs into the boat and starts to paddle out into the middle of the lake. As you
1: do.
0: As you do. And then we get one of the moments that uh, are uh, probably the the biggest gem this movie offers is is yeah. the finale, um, where Alice is like she's it, dawn breaks, um, mm. you know she's lying in the boat still. Uh, we see a couple of police cars arrive, two st- officers step out and Beautiful, they're motioning exactly. towards her. The music starts playing mm. up, and the audience are kind of get this feeling are. Oh, this is it. This yeah, is it where is. the credits yeah. are going to roll. She's rescued, mm-hmm. And just as Alice does, she seems a bit disorientated. And just then, a bloody figure of a boy, Jason, launches mm. out of the water and drags Alice under. Um, and it's a bit of a... Um, it's a bit of a carry moment with the hand coming yeah, out of the grave. That. Yeah, I was going that. The flowers, yeah. That's right. So um, because Alice wakes up in hospital so mm. was it a whole dream? What just occurred? Mm. Um, she's told that everybody's dead, you know, at the, you know, from the camp. Um, and Alice mentions the boy named Jason, um, but the police officer just says there there was no boy. Yeah. Um, and Alice declares, "But there, he must still be there." Yeah. And no. we are then faced with the crossfade to the still lake as music ascends and close credits as we roll.
1: Set up for a sequel.
0: Set up for a sequel. But or, was it? Like, it wasn't initially, though. Like, yeah. from from Sean Cunningham and, and uh, you know, Victor Miller's point of view, that that was the end. Mm. Obviously, what we know is that a sequel would follow. Um, and that would really... I think the sequel then set up the franchise. Really. Exactly. With the, yeah, with that ice
1: hockey mask and, and the whole big guy of Jason Borden's yeah. going.
0: That's like, right. That's the
1: thing. Jason Voorhees wasn't in this one. No. Essentially, as the killer for the whole time. No. Which is, you know, it's the, the first quiz on um screen. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
0: So. Well, but what's interesting? I mean, we will get on to talk about that when we when we go mm. into talking about the other franchise, you know, mo- uh, movies that were made for the franchise. But what's interesting that and what was puzzling me is like, you know, it's like Jason's dead, right? Mm. And, and obviously we know, because we've watched the other movies, what they do around that. But when, when you hear of a sequel, and, and even Sean Cunningham was saying, how can you do a sequel? Because they were talking about, well, get the kid, the boy. You know? Yeah. And he's like, but he's dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how do you do that? Um, he's not working in a supernatural world.
1: He's working in a, um, in a real world.
0: That's right. Yeah. So, that's, right. You know, that's
1: the thing about the slasher horror films is, they weren't based in a supernatural world. It was no. actually that was what made made it scary was that you're dealing with re, real mania. Yeah, that's right. And uh, real psychological illness. That's it. That's and um, so yeah, I mean, they essentially, just they broke it even more by doing the sequels by bringing this this thing back to life, basically. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, that 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 last sequence was a dream that of her. She was traumatized. You know, and that's really being yeah. that one little moment basically. Well, imagining a moments with Jason Voorhees just attacking people not yeah, her. Yeah. And oh, the mother could have the mother could kill, you know, ten kids or
0: whatever however many
1: <laughs> kids that she killed. So yeah. it's
0: interesting. It's interesting too, isn't it? Like so like if we talk about the killer at the moment and we'll get to talk about the, the lady who played Mrs. Voorhees, Betsy Palmer. Yeah. Um The character itself, um, you know, we talked about how she's the American kind of sweetest pie kind of, you know, mother figure. But a lot of people who've watched this movie and fans of the movie and horror films find a a really, they kind of find a connection with her because her killing, her motive is born out of of a genuine protection. Yeah. That this sort of neglect of because her kid died. Yeah. Because of the neglect of the kids. So she's doing it to stop it from happening again. So there is this kind of like logical reason why someone would go to those kind of lengths. Yeah, she's mad as batshit. Yeah. You know.
1: I don't know whether you can actually find logic out
0: of that. That's
1: the thing. You reckon? Yeah, I don't. I I think killing a whole bunch of innocent people. I think she's trying to prove a point, or she just she's broken.
0: No, basically. she would have been un- unhinged. And it almost seems like a mis misspent
1: revenge almost. Yeah, yeah. No, she's trying to take revenge out to yes. on an unnamed uh, killer basically. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. she's fixed blame on someone, oh, and yeah. now um she but she hasn't picked it on a specific girl, she's picked it on on a whole. Basically. so the teenager, teenage campers—that's her. That's who she wants to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't think I don't think it's, uh, she's doing it to stop people uh, reopening the camp. I think it's just she's doing it because she wants to inflict some, yeah. some some blame on someone.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's so, right. It, that's a, that's, yeah. a, that's absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it's 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 that you know it's it's a very typical response for people that. Are dealing with grief that you want to blame mm. someone, yeah, um, yeah, you know, and sh- and when you have someone who's unhinged like she is, um, yeah, it's only gonna it's only gonna go wrong. So let's 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 talk about Betsy Palmer. So she's she's this girl next door type. Um, she would be this uh, regular p- uh, panelist on a game show that was called I've Got a Secret, which a lot of uh, Americans would have known her for at the time. Um, Interesting. Um, the the role was initially given to estelle parsons who um who was uh jr's um mom in uh, dallas Uh-oh.
1: um
0: and she would become um but she was unavailable for the production uh when the oh. schedule because the schedule got moved um and so um she was unavailable so then uh, betsy palmer was called upon and betsy palmer like went on record and she said it ever since, you know, like she she did it because it would be a bit of money and she thought nobody is ever going to see this. Um how wrong she was. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, she got I mean, she got a lot of um, her most famous role
1: for. Yeah, yeah. That's right.
0: But she no. got a she got a lot of hate mail. Like she actually oh, got wow. she actually got somebody um uh a one of the critics at the time basically slanded her for uh, 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 assigning herself to this kind of a role in this kind of a movie um, and you know um, going against type. And, and, and they not only did that, but they put down her contact address and demanded people huh. write hate mail to her in response well, to she, what she did. But yeah, do you she know was what?
1: For a ratty, huh? I'm just looking up, she was nominated for a ratty award for this yeah seriously the wow. film got the director um and the film got nominated too
0: wow that's actually i know the critics really panic. no it won did it serious so, i think sean cunningham
1: oh no 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 it's still a nominee okay. but yeah it was a nominee for wow. for ratty for worst picture that's insane that's freaking insane <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
1: like that, it, like whoever organizes the rally it must have to look back and go, well, that wasn't a stupid, wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no uh what was uh what was last year's one um
0: it wasn't the hunger games it was one of those old four ones nah, the there's been some really bad ones that deserve, mm. deserve that that m- Mortakai was it with Johnny oh that was it yeah d m no, I haven't either. But yeah. the um but the interesting thing with uh you know with the with the as I was saying with this critic who basically put out the you know the, the her Betsy Palmer's actual contact details is that Betsy didn't get a single letter. Uh, so yeah. it didn't didn't work. Definitely. All right, let's let's look at um Oh look what well quickly what did you think of her performance, Betsy Palmer? Like we're, we're just dry. saying that she got nice. the Razzie, like but
1: Believable, very yeah. believable. So, I thought that too. You know, she looks like you know, nice apple pie lady, you never really think that she's the killer and no. it just turns as soon as she starts rabbiting on in Jackson voice, you just go and talking about his, him getting like dying while the council's yeah. doing stuff. You just go uh, is kind of twisted here. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's but, a great. You know,
0: it's she's a great. great. She's one of the greatest um, uh, uh, horror villains of all time. Absolutely, completely mm. agree. Completely agree with that. And I really love that mm. scene too, where she goes from you know that the, as you said the, the humble kind of apple pie, uh, sweet and innocent mum figure, and this kind of slowly descends as she mm. tells her story, and and quickly, in in the space of what two minutes it's you know it's quite evident that she's the killer and is a, is a incredibly unhinged yeah mm. all right let, let's look at our heroine uh played uh, Alice who's played by Adrienne King mm. um you know she was a she would actually reprise the role of Alice uh, in Friday the 13th part two um she played uh she also uh, she became before this movie she actually played an uncredited um dancer in um, the movie Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, um, yeah. But she would disappear from the from the scene until about, you know, twenty ten for a film called Psychic Experiment. And she's been like in a handful of movies since then. But um you know, uh but what's interesting is the story that comes out about her. Um I don't know if you if you're aware of, of the her background miles. But she um no. she actually at the time after the movie came out was so huge she actually had um uh, uh, uh she had somebody who was obsessed with her and became a stalker right um at, at a time when stalkers weren't heard of oh. um the person in, in question actually befriended her uh, to wow. get into her inner circle so she he he became one of her friends um huh. all of which led to this kind of harrowing experience for her and um, nobody would believe her when she you know when it when it was, this was unfolding and, you know, eventually the, you know, the said person was apprehended, um, you know, and arrested um, for his actions. But, um, yeah, it was really, and and this t- and it was really kind of like a harrowing experience for her, you know, and it took her a long time to get through it. And she does say part of what helped her was the fan, you know, actual uh, sane fans who, you know, yeah. who would reach out to her. But, yeah. Um, all this was kind of going on and then when Friday the 13th part 2 comes about um, there was a bit of a and we'll probably talk about this in the next podcast but there was a bit of animosity around her coming on board because the crew kind of were led to believe that her um, that she was asking for more money Um, and um, she didn't from her point of view she'd had this ordeal and she was just kind of kind of signing up to, to do it. So she wasn't she wasn't actually kind of asking for more money. Sounds like there might have been a question mark around the agent that was dealing with, with it at the yeah. time, her agent. Um, so she got to set and basically, um, and didn't know the script, and then um, without, you know, we're kind of giving the game away a bit here, but she, her role is, isn't a big role, let's put it that way, in, wow. in the sequel. Um,
1: it's but, a good role. like I think, yeah, you know, first 10 minutes are the strongest of a lot of, like, uh, of the whole franchise, pretty yeah. much.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I loved it. It was, how um, the first 10 minutes of the sequel um, inspired me to write uh, a, a feature film. Wow. Based um, on, on post-traumatic stress after surviving an attack. I yeah. mean, you read it, it, was the werewolf one. Yeah. And actually was the instigator, but... That that started. One of the instigators that started that was was seeing her in the first ten minutes of the sequel, wow. being having survived this yeah, monster yeah. attack or this psychotic um, attack yeah. and having to deal and go back to real life, basically. Yeah, yes. And so yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah. We'll,
0: we'll we'll talk about that one in, mm. in our next podcast. But um, yeah, de- definitely definitely interesting, but. It makes you wonder what, what, what she would have. It be- would she have become somebody? Well, you know, would have her acting career have taken a different path Ooh. if she hadn't have had this personal heroin experience? You know. Well,
1: obviously Sarah had additional voices, so I many yeah. I think she was doing Eddie uh, work for the rest of the last. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she was That's quite right. happy doing that. So, well,
0: yeah. she might have been a big star. on there, but, No, no, it makes you wonder, yeah. doesn't it? it? Does make you? Wonder. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're going to go through a couple of the other one uh, characters uh, fairly, fairly quickly. Uh, we have Janine Taylor, who plays Marcy. Um, just mainly just minimal screen credits, huge theatre presence. Now, when they cast the uh, the film, all these kids were like unknown, big theatre presence kind of uh, people that mm. were trying to break the scene into the, in, you know, in, yeah. in you know at the time. So. It was very cleverly cast. as like some strong performers in there. So a lot of these people haven't had much screen credits but were known on the theatre circuits and have continued to. Yeah. Likewise, um, Robbie Morgan, who plays Annie, very similar thing, big in, big in the theatre scene, minimal screen credits. Then we come that's to... Um, what that's
1: essentially what I'm doing for my feature, actually, the, the other sidelines. Yeah. Most of my people, um, the actors, are all pretty much unknown. They're, they're big in theatre. Um, they've done very little screen stuff so yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely uh, and that's what I learned from uh, like I think uh, Wes Craven as well usually a lot of unknown data yeah. people yeah that's, um, right, so that's it's, right it's definitely the best way to do um, a horror film because everybody's disposable you know well, that's not exactly, following yeah. a lead actor so
0: yeah, yeah, yeah because as soon as you know that there's uh, a name attached to so it you yeah. kind of know that you know they're, well they're going to survive to the end you yeah. know Unless you're Samuel Jackson in Deep Blue Sea. Um, yeah. Then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so, I um, <laughs> love that scene. Um, so, um, like, speaking of which, the big name that came out of this was Kevin Bacon, who plays Jack.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, he notably starred in, um, uh, prior to this movie, he starred in Animal House. Um mm. And uh, you know he would follow that role uh, um, with a with a sorry he would follow that film with a role in Diner, huge ensemble cast in oh, that one.
1: Um,
0: and then you know you know but he was only like two heel clips away from Footloose, which is where you know everything mm. opened up for him. Um, you know his next notable role wouldn't come probably until the '90s. You know he was, he was prominent in the scene, yeah. and and, um, and that would be with Tremors, which also spawned its own yeah. franchise. He um, was also in um, Flatliners as well, which um, yeah, a, great film, great great film. Um, Do you for, think he's he's just got a he's just got a soft spot for the horror? I think yeah, he does. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. that,
1: maybe that's why he did The Following as well. It was a rubbish um, yeah. TV series, but it know, really had like a good. It, it, the sentiment was there, but um, there's yeah, a lot. So there's a, there's we, a lot done some pretty good horror films.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and I You know, uh, well, I, I'll. I've got it in my list, but Stir of Echoes was a was a great film. Oh, I don't know if you've ever film. seen that. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, Richard Maston's script. It's yeah, brilliant. yeah. So good. Yeah, it's
1: really good. Yeah. That cinema scene of is just one of the best things I've ever yeah, yeah.
0: film. Absolutely. Yeah, it's mm. a really good film, um, you know, really yeah. recommend if no one's seen it, I recommend people watch it. Um, just to yeah. go through some of the hang I'm of the... Sorry? I said,
1: try
0: not to get hit in the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so just going through a couple of num- you know, just to name some of his other movies, just to give you an idea of the kind of strength that he's gone on to. He was in JFK, A Few Good Men, Murder in the First, Apollo 13, Sleepers, Wild Things, Hollow Man, Mystic River, The Woodsman, Frost Nixon, X Men: First Class, and as you mentioned, TV series. The following uh, of more recent times um he and you can tell in this movie though too like he's he's got presence on screen you know mm. he's of of and and this isn't just us you know i don't know whether it's a benefit of hindsight but yeah when when you do watch it he does still stand out you know um there's something about his presence on screen
1: i think when i thought when i'd seen it he was already i think he footloose out yeah really yeah enough. So everybody's like, Oh it's the guy from Footless, Kevin Bacon You're yeah. like, Oh, okay And so you knew he was
0: like a big star already like he this was one of his first film, so. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Um so joining the cast um also is Harry Crosby, as I mentioned he's uh, was he plays Bill and he's the son of Bing Crosby. Um most of the time on set, like he was musical too, and most of the time on set he was walking around with a guitar and just kind of, you know, playing music. And I think, um, from memory from the documentary, he followed Tom Savini around. He was quite fascinated mm. with, with the the stuff behind the scenes. Um, also, uh, we had um, L- Laurie Bartram, who played Brenda. Um, again, like minimal screen credits. And she actually passed away quite young, too, from cancer, I believe. Mm. Um, and then we have um, uh, Ned, the, the goofy character Ned, who's played by Mark Nelson. Um, he's uh, probably somewhat more... Uh, proactive uh, than his fellow on-screen victims, um, you know. But mainly, he's been like in the odd episode on TV and things like that. Um, we have Peter Brower, who plays Steve Christie. He also, interestingly, I noticed in his credits, he played the auctioneer in the Arthur remake. Um, so that's the one with uh, Russell oh, Brand. <laughs> like, <laughs> so deep, right? I <laughs> know, random, random. Alive? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, apparently so. Um, then, uh, the truck driver character who, the guy that gives Annie a lift, um, he's a guy called, called Rex Everhart. Um, I, I put it, put him down in, or as I mentioned, cause he apparently played a, a desk sergeant in 1978 Superman and he was also oh. played a a role in the elephant man, David Lynch's film. Oh yeah, he yeah. did. Um, I remember him. yeah. The, then we also have uh, Ron, and I, I want to pronounce his name, Ron Milkey, who's the Officer Dorf character, so he's the you know the the, gu- the cop character on the uh, motorbike. He uh, had a minor role in the return to Sa- Salem's Lot. I uh, mentioned that okay. one because we're hoping to have discussions around Toby Hooper's films down the track, yeah. um, of which the original Sa- Sa- Salem's Lot was his film. Um, then we get Crazy Ralph, played by Walt Gorney. He also would reprise his role as as the character Ralph um, in the sequel, Friday the 13th Part 2. And interestingly, he had an uncredited role as the narrator in Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood. Um, He also cropped up in trading places. And his character, Crazy Ralph, was originally called Ralphie Rat Boy because he carried rats around with him. (laughs) Somewhere along the way that got lost. Um, but I I love his character. It's just very typical of the nutjob kind of town nutjob. Very cool. Um, yeah, and the yeah. other the other notable mention from the acting point of view was Ari Lehman, who played Jason, the boy at the end. He uh he'd been picked up because he worked with uh, Cunningham in in another film called Manny's Orphans. Mm. Um, you know he he then go on to you know uh, starring like cheerleader camp to the death, uh, leaf blower massacre two, um. And he was e- even in a, uh, a short film called Crystal Lake as well. Oh, right. But he goes down as playing the first ever Jason uh, in film history. <laughs> yes. um, and he's and he also... He like
1: he's been touring the uh, the, the con circuit. Yeah, I was about to say, to say that. He's,
0: he's very uh, prominent on the, in the touring circuit, which is, which yeah, is great. Yeah, he's, um, he's graphing all of those for the minutes, you yeah. that's it. <laughs> okay, and the last person I'm going to mention um, because he does technically have a, a, sc- a screen credit um, is Tom Savini, but he's because yeah. uh, he plays the man, the knife killer. Yeah, um, but he's known in this because he he deals with the effects. We've spoken about him already. Um, interestingly, like he there was a great quote in the uh, in the documentary where he said, "I would sit in the, auditor- in the auditorium as the movies you know playing out. He'd pick someone out." in the crowd, and just watch the evolution of their heart attack.
1: Mm,
0: Love right. it. Um, as yeah. I said uh, earlier on in our discussions, he was hired because of his visual effects on Dawn of the Dead. Um, because they were so, so realistic, and you mentioned that, you know, he you said you're probably one of the most realistic kind of um, special yeah. effects you've seen in horror films. And yeah, Tom yeah. actually has said that he put this down to his experience as being a combat officer in Vietnam. Um, yeah. He really wanted that realism of what he yeah. saw and that's basically oh, and his effects you know mm. um he's the person that, as i mentioned who fired that close shot with the arrow past brenda um, mm. when uh, when quizzed about it because it is damn close to her um, his response was we were just being deadly accurate um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um he'd go on to uh, you know uh, Be behind Friday the Thirteenth. The final chapter is, you know, uncredited um, Jason in Hitchhiker in the Hitchhiker murder scene um, Mm. for the effects for that. Um, On screen, he was been in Machete, Machete Kills, uh, Django Unchained, Planet Terror from Dust to Dawn, playing Sex Machine. Sex
1: Machine.
0: Uh, He was in uh, Lost Boys, the Tribe. Uh, Oh God, really? Yeah, yeah. It was in the Dawn of the That's Dead, awesome. the uh, the original and remake. Ah, uh, remake, great. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, he handled the FX for that. Um, yeah. And he was also in the Dead movies. You've mentioned he was in the worked with Ramiro closely, but just to be specific, he was also behind. Uh, you know, worked with Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead. Um, he also did. You ch- know the range, so that
1: he did, did to Nicotero. That, is I that? I think
0: right? so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember the
1: speech that he was doing. He was like Nicotero, like he's like me when I was when I was his age, and um, it was just before he was he was about to appear on Django. Um, G- yes. uh, when I saw him, he was like he was talking about um, uh, working with Tarantino again. Tarantino's such a massive, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so, why fun. he
0: crops up a lot. Yeah.
1: He actually came. He spent um, spending some time at the Actually. Oh really. Uh, his, his girlfriend was an Australian girl who was um, a lot younger than him. She was a makeup student uh, he, he was sort of mentoring. He mentored mentor a whole bunch of these um, the makeup artists. Um, and they ended up producing. Um, he worked on a film, I think it was called I Red Mist, but it might be something else. Um, but yeah, there was, a, there was a horror film done in Australia that he ended up mentoring the the effects department on so um yeah. i'll find out what film it is i'll i'll, I'll give you a shout yeah yeah do yeah, um, yeah, but yeah i'm nice. pretty cool. sure it's um red Mist though but it was um
0: i think that rings a bell i think i seem to remember reading that in his credits so i think you're
1: yeah right. yeah um, But yeah it was super interesting
0: yeah cool Good guy love, nice yeah, guy to, and I'd just stayed around that. for
1: ages after the we his yeah. audience with and just talked to everybody as well so yeah really I, I'd really i
0: but I'd love to have gone to that. That, that, sounded, that sounds really cool. I'm a huge, mm. huge fan of his. Um, yeah. You know, like, just to round out some of the stuff he did as well, like, he worked on Children of the Living Dead, he did the effects for Creepshow 1 and 2, uh, also did the effects for Maniac and Martin. Mm. Um, he's also directed a few features, too, including Night of the Living Dead, um, which mm. actually spawned its own franchise. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Red um, Ink, that's what it's called. What was it's it called? Um, Red Ink. Ah, oh, oh like was
1: Red it even It's got Bad Boy Bubby <laughs> Dude in it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, cool,
1: cool. Oh, cool. And there's a guy in it that that's actually looking to be in my, my film. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's one of the starring roles in it, so I might have to uh, definitely hit that. Definitely hit up, do yeah. that,
0: man. That's a massive nod. Yeah. Um... Alright, so uh let's look at the director. We mentioned him already, Sean Cunningham. He was the producer mm. behind Last House on the Left. He did like a couple of soft core porn movies and a couple of like kids family movies that just didn't did get eyeballs. Huh? Did he did Spring Break, was that the one? Yeah, I think that was him, yeah. There's very Death. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm.
1: Um, the one that Jenny Depp tried to ban. <laughs> and many it. others. Mordecai is probably up there as well.
0: Oh, yeah, Far Out. Yeah, mm. that's it, that's it. But then, like, you know, he he was, like, looking at, um, at that point, like, he had, like, failure after failure, basically. And he mm. basically just said, like, if he had a movie called Friday the 13th, he could sell it. And that was the, <laughs> that was the emphasis, um, you know, you know, of Of the genesis, I should say of of where it began he basically, like basically set up and made a movie poster, which was yeah. that famous Friday the thirteenth uh font crashing through some windows, and with yeah. the tag saying the scariest movie ever, or something along those lines, <laughs> and basically was like going out pitching it, saying this is what it 's going to be, and they made a movie out <laughs> of it um, you know and hes uh, since then like he 's obviously got the rights behind Friday the thirteenth you know yeah. he, he jokes about how when he dies his kids will probably be stuck making you know, making the movies still as it's going, you know, on and on.
1: Um some alright for then. Have you seen the New Kids? No. No. It's <laughs> that, really good. It's it's actually written by um Jake Gyllenhaal's dad. Um, really? Uh, Stephen Gyllenhaal, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. um, and and yeah, it's got um what is it? Lori Lockland, who was in Full House. James Spader, in it. it's just it's just wow. these new kids come to town, and these bullies start picking on them, played by play, you know Spader. And, yeah, and and it turned into this sort of like like bloodthirsty revenge sort of survival type thing. Blimey. It's 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 alright. I saw it years ago, but it, I I remember like I, I remember liking it at the time, but it was um
0: yeah. yeah. Probably shit but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's up for debate now. You you put yourself down there saying it was good, so yeah. No, i remember liking it though. So. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: We've got six out of ten in um on IMDb, but you know, yeah. I've seen films get higher than that, and yeah, yeah, be yeah. absolute crap. So absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's it. That's mm. it. Um. All right. So then we've got that. Uh, we've mentioned. I've mentioned him already. The writer, Victor Miller. You know, he actually worked with Sean before with, uh, you know, Mandy's Orphans and A Stranger is Watching, um, which was um, mm-hmm. uh, actually a Carpenter film. Um, but, he, you know, he, interestingly, like, uh, before he set out writing Friday the 13th, he, he basically said he's not a horror fan. He, he winks at any kind of uh, ounce of gall when he was on screen. Um but he, you know he knew that he when he got given this task he he wanted to start with a prior evil um and have something occur a long time ago that was really bad, and then you put the kids in a situation where adults cannot help um, and then also, as I said before, if you have sex, you'd be killed that was it that's basically what he'd come up with and he you know came up with the idea of being on a lake stranded um, or a camp i should say by the lake stranded um and that was it, you know, that was, the, the, the history after that was, is, is set in stone, you know, yeah, it's yeah, amazing, yeah. really. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and he's another guy that often goes to these, uh, you know, these uh, Comic-Con kind of events and stuff as well, he's still quite active on that side of things. He's totally just rolling in his, uh, royalty <clears throat> checks. That's it, so, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, there was an uncredited writer on this who threw in a couple of extra bits and pieces too, and I've just mentioned his name, is Ron Kurz. Um, And he's cropped up um, on occasion talking about, you know, the movie and stuff as well. Mm. Let's move on to the last kind of person that's credited uh, that that we should make note of, and that's the music uh, supplied by Harry Manfandini. You know, he, uh, before we talk about the particular soundtrack on this, you know, he did the music also for House 4, Spring Break, Zombie Island Massacre, and Here Come the Tigers. Yeah. But this yeah. is probably his most famous signature, and you know it's that uh, whole. I just, it really is. Uh, thousands of people have imitated it since, as you said. The whole. K- 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 k. Um, but basically, the, I don't know if you know how he came up with the uh, with that sound or, or how no. it came about, right? So, the the line by Mrs Voorhees is spoken, and it's this close up shot of her mouth as she's imitating her son Jason, where he she says, "Kill her mummy." And he just liked it. that shot and that, and that word played was done over. And he was just stood in front of the mic. He had like one of these kind of, uh, I'm not going to quote the right kind of technology, but it was like a reverb thing going on. And he basically just went up to the mic and just w- went, k- and it echoed and did this. K- 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 k. And it, it's the start oh, of wow. kill her mummy. So the kick bit is the kill. And the mu is the "mum mummy bit. So basically, what you're hearing is kick, 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 and ma- ma-, ma, 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 ma. And then since oh, then, wow. it's like, and it's as I say, it's one of the most iconic yeah. uh, sounds in. You know, that uh, uh, the the theme from Psycho and probably the Halloween theme is probably the yeah. most recognisable um, themes in, in horror. You know, I want
1: to try and rip it off of my film actually because um, I'm going to try and merge it with. um Ultra of Vienna, uh, and have to do like a, a mash of it because yeah. that song features throughout my film. But I'm I want to have the drums of Vienna and that
0: yeah, yeah sound yeah.
1: going throughout the film as well. So nice. It's um nice. it's gonna be a mash because it sounds so similar as well. So yeah, cool. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, that sounds yeah. good, man. Yeah, See so, if it
1: works. Yeah, well, play it. Yeah, I lo- that's right. I'm like Friday the 13th is one of my favourite films of all the time. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Anyhow, well, let's you
0: know. let's like like let's let's talk about uh, why why that is. Like like what there's a lot of shock factors that go on in this, you know. Mm.
1: Um,
0: there's a lot of deaths that occur. We have the counselor's death at the beginning, then Annie's death, Ned's death, uh, Jack's death, which is was a huge you know huge uh, moment on the film. Get Marcy, Steve, Brenda, Bill, and then we get the reveal at the end of, of who the killer is. Um, right. Had there at this point been such a uh, plethora of kills in a in a slasher film um, to this point, or
1: I think well, obviously Halloween, yeah, yeah, and Halloween, Halloween two come out by that stage, so that was even more brutal, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what? I think I think for me personally, I. It was, it, because I personally haven't seen any of this done before. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
1: yeah. every horror film I'd ever seen before that was, you know, 1940s RKO stuff or, um, Universal Monsters or Hammer Horror stuff. And it was just like, so I'd never seen Killing done so realistically. Yeah. Until, yeah. you know, the birth of video stores and VHS. So going down to get to get on VHS for the first time, so you know, watching it, going, how can this be on film? How can mm. they do this? This is just amazing! <laughs> and and you know, the the bloodthirsty slash of horror fan um, uh, was born basically. So, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I I and that's it. You know, it's it was a seminal film for me yes. personally. Yes. Um. And I think it was for a lot of people of my age, especially who grew up on TV until the early '80s when VHSs and video recorders came out.
0: And yeah, yeah. We
1: had access to all these R-rated material that we had never seen before. So, um, yeah, it was just a, it was eye-opening.
0: Oh yeah. You know, everything was so
1: heavily censored before that. No. Um. Every time you saw something on TV, it was just so bloody censored. Yeah. And just to have an access access to it, any kind of um, yeah anything above a PG was brilliant.
0: I, I, I think I think that's why I think critics were so taken aback by it when it, when it came out because it was so bloody, it was so gory. Nothing had uh, been this you know it it was a whole new invention of a, of a film genre right there, and mm. people had never seen or witnessed anything like this. So it became yeah uh, an amazing. Um, a- an amazing kind of moment in film history when this came out um, and it set the benchmark. I mean,
1: most of these films obviously went straight to like the drive-ins and stuff like that but yeah. well, was this one of the first ones to actually go to like a similar release or yeah? Do we, or do, do we have the you know the the
0: video market to, to thank for its success? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right that's right I'm actually just gonna actually I'm gonna use this point to kind of t- throw in some notes here because I want to say that Actually, I'll say it and then I'll just see if the notes are there to, come, to back me up on it. But I'm pretty sure it was said that they got uh, backing from the, uh, the film producers uh, to release this um, as a nationwide film. Which is the first time something as low budget as this had, ha- yeah. had occurred in that instance. And that was part of one of the reasons why it became so big um the movie itself you know it was made for like something like five hundred thousand dollars mm. uh and if you look at it, it was shot over like three to four weeks it was in wet and cold conditions and you know because it was in the middle of autumn i believe because they couldn't it, it was shot on location and on this actual camp um but they couldn't do it over the summer because that's, it's being used so they're kind of mm. you know having to do it outside of that um you know, and as I said, like uh, Cunningham, when he he basically just took an ad out in the paper describing the movie as the scariest movie ever made to draw up interest. And at the stage, there was no idea. It was, there was no script at all, or concept. No. It was just purely the name, and that it was going to be the scariest movie ever. Um, you know, and and inter- one interesting thing I found is that Jason was originally going to be called Josh um, yeah, right. <laughs> in the movie too. But the audiences, as I said, went crazy for it. And, you know, and uh, Oh, yeah, I have written in here, yeah, and it's partly in support because of the support of the film company that gave the film a nationwide release. Mm. Um, the critics universally hated it, and as I said, one person put Betsy Palmer's contact details out on, on their review. Um, um, but, you know, uh, as we've discussed as well, the Jason scare at the end was intended to be what it was, a device... Um, to scare at the end. It wasn't meant to be the beginning of, of a premise of a, of a sequel. Yeah, um, yeah. but you know, the success of the movie would actually lead onto, uh, the sequel. And, um, you know, um, Cunningham would, you know, venture to say that that notion of doing a sequel was the worst idea ever, um, at the time. But, you know, he was, he had, holds his hands up and said he was wrong with that no, assumption. He's, he's,
1: he's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ass 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 you know.
0: yeah. um, yeah, and, and the goal was to always build up that when they were making the film was to always build up the suspense. Uh, mm. You know, to place more emphasis on on this than the gore itself. Even though the gore is 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 quite realistic, mm. uh, the the goal was to just keep building that suspense up and just keep kind of you know slowly bringing it. More and more, uh, you know, uh, centralized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it does that, and I think that's partly why it's such a such a great movie because you really yeah, feel yeah. that tension uh, surrounding these kids. Um, mm. And you know, throw Tom Savini into the mix, and you've just got a yeah, recipe one, uh, yeah. you know, that was one of the best ever concocted. Um, mm. So, like, what what's your what's your overall view, though? I mean, you, you've already said that, you know, it's one of your favourite films of all time. I put yeah. it here down, does I put here, does it feel dated? And, and maybe partly, but it, it still stands high, I think. You know, as I said, it set the benchmark oh, for slasher horror films that would undertake for years to follow, and it's still happening now. Mm. Um, it was the movie that established a lot of rules, and, you know, in some cases broke down, you know, what was common conceptions mm. at the time for movie goes. Um, um, it was definitely groundbreaking and it was one that serves well for repeat viewing I think for any fan of the horror of the horror genre. Um, what, what would you is there anything you'd like to add to that, buddy, or
1: Yeah, I mean for me
0: it's it's
1: very much encapsulates the nineteen eighties. Yes. Uh, it was uh, you know, it it created a slasher genre that I don't think I don't think they've ever really matched. The, the ability of the 1980s no. to produce slacker horror films. I mean, hence why, you know, my, my films are, that I'm making is a slasher horror film, set in the 1980s. I'm yeah, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, but, so it's actually such an... It shapes it the whole decade of such great films that, that, and great genres that came out from the, from, from the VHS and the, the video market. So for me, it was, um, I think, mean, I, you know, I, I had such fun watching this for the first time, so yeah, it just yeah. kind of brought, brought me back to being a child again watching, um, yeah, this, this scary, bloody movie, basically, yeah, yeah. so. So but yeah, I don't mean, I don't mean, if, it, if it's dated, it's it's, it's dated in a, in a nostalgic, sort of yeah, way.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I still, like I say, I do emphasise that it, I still think it stands strong because mm. of so many elements that are in here that are so right um, that make it such a great recipe for a, for a, a, an awesome horror film.
1: Um, it's mm. interesting
0: you you mentioned how this one was just, uh, was a turning point for you as a as a fan of film and an introduction, I guess, into the horror scene. I think for me, it was I, I mean, I am. I, no disrespect, just a couple of years younger than you. Um, and I think that goes to say that the film that did that for me was A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was only two yeah. years after this. Yeah. Um, but that to me is the same kind of thing. I remember watching that scared out of my pants um, and going around kind of playing games in some kind of uh, junkyard, kind of with all these cars, pretending Freddy's out chasing after me, you know, yeah. and scaring yeah. myself fucking stupid in the process yeah. because I'm playing this game, you know. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting that there's, I, I, I guess everyone has that, that kind of, or particularly horror fans, have that one movie that, that resonated um, with Yeah, them. I mean, I,
1: I wonder about kids now, what actually. what's going to be that film yeah. that, that, that yeah. scares them, basically. That's it. And, um, you know, they, 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 you got people like, you know, films like Friday, Saturday, Halloween, um, Nightmare on the Street. Um, all of these amazing films that came out of the '80s that just would, i don't mean, think they've ever matched. That Scream did a whole genre based on those films. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Film
1: series based on those films.
0: Well, that's it. Uh, and even even Scream is a nod to that. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it was a massive nod to that. And you know, interestingly, you know, by Wes Craven himself, who you know, yeah, was one of yeah. the auteurs of the original horror movies yeah, of, yeah, of that yeah, time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting too, and, and and just to add, like all those films that you've just mentioned have gone through remakes as well yeah. now. So it's yeah, certain.
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, it is a good question about what what people uh, will look at as classic or now. You've obviously got the Mumblecore movement that's happening um, yeah. as we speak, which are are making I guess small waves. A lot of people look at it though as you know, wanky hip kind of chic. Yeah. Um, you know the hipster kind of movement, and it's not necessarily. I was it's only. It'll be interesting to see of that movement, if if any of them uh, hold weight. Um, you and I are both big. Well, been, those been those films are heavily influenced by, you know,
1: films like Friday the 13th. Anything yeah. that of soundtracks alone have this subtext, and um, yeah. yeah, the 80s films, the are next all that sort kind of stuff. That's is, it, yeah. Definitely just a nod to, to these films. Yeah. But um, I, I don't even know Inky. I think they, they know exactly what they are. Like House of the Devil and yeah. uh, all the Thai Wests. And um, you could, um, you know, Inky, Inky, um, the Inkeepers, some great films there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's it. It's a bit watched. Yeah, um, yeah. They're oh, sort of I, buried I, in Netflix at the moment. But
0: I, I, yes, that's it. I, I completely agree with you. I, I I am a fan of those movies. Mm. I think I I think if they're all kind of um, adding a lot of um, a lot of weight to the horror horror genre um, and helping yeah. move it into a positive direction. Um. Yeah, so it's, it is interesting, but it all started off, arguably with this one movie, Friday the Thirteenth, mm. as I said, and you know since then um, it, there's been. Um, numerous sequels that are followed, and we're hoping to talk about them, you know, in future podcasts. Mm. Um, I think that probably rounds up uh, our, yeah, our yeah. discussions, man. If you're cool, um, it's been a heavy it, discussion. It's been a heavy discussion. So yeah, so that concludes our special horror film surgery Friday the Thirteenth edition. Um, keep your eyes peeled down the track, as I said, because Miles and I will dissect the franchise further with more podcast installments. Until then, we hope you enjoyed our discussion. And until next time, it's goodbye from Miles. Goodbye. <laughs> and goodbye from me. Thanks again. You've been listening to a Surgeons of Horror podcast. The Friday the 13th edition. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.